Welcome to Be Happy, a podcast by Hepatitis B Foundation, discussing all things related to Hepatitis B. It's your host, Bright. And Anusha. And today we are joined by Dr. Wang. Dr. Wang, thank you for joining us this afternoon. Please introduce yourself. Thanks, Bright and Anusha. Thanks for having me here. I'm really honored to be a part of the podcast. I've seen and listened to a number of your podcasts, so it's great to actually be here. So I am, as a background, I'm an internal medicine physician. I practice primary care. I run the Center for Asian Health and our viral hepatitis programs at Cooperman Barnabas Medical Center, which is part of RWJ Barnabas Health in New Jersey. And I am also somebody living with hepatitis B, and I've done quite a bit of work in patient empowerment and engagement. And I'm on the board for Happy Foundation. And also, as of recently, I'm the senior advisor for global health for the Happy Foundation. And I was very involved with World Hepatitis Alliance, which is a an NGO dedicated to achieving the elimination of viral hepatitis by harnessing the power of people living with viral hepatitis. And I was the president from 2020 to 2022. So I think conversations like this, where we kind of talk about, you know, patient provider partnerships, and a lot of the things that aren't often covered in medical conferences or publications, but is so important for improving patient outcomes and delivering really good quality care for people with hep B is so important. So thank you for highlighting this in your podcast. Thank you once again. In our previous episode, we did talk about some questions from the patient perspective that is important for the patient to ask as they prepare to go in and see the provider. And on this episode, we want to look at the provider's perspective, like what are some of the questions that provider might want to ask the patient who is coming in? And if you want to share some of these questions with us and also stress on why it is important that the provider needs this information or needs to know this information or get this information from the patient. Great. Yeah, this is good to kind of, for me as a physician, to take a step back and think about this. Obviously, a, a big part of our visit, you know, when a patient comes in and, you know, we'll take like a new patient per se, somebody who, you know, so I guess, you know, potentially two ways, somebody's recently diagnosed with hepatitis, like I screened for in all of my primary care patients, and just found out they have hepatitis B or somebody who already knew they had hep B and is coming to me for hep B care. Mm -hmm. So a lot of our job is to do a history, right? So we ask you a lot of questions about when you first knew you had hepatitis B, do you have, you know, are you from a country where hep B is endemic? You know, where did you grow up? Did you, do you think you got vaccinated? What is your family history? For hep B, that's really important, knowing whether or not your parents had hep B and even grandparents, did anybody, and a lot of people may not, you know, when their grandparents at that point, they were not screening for hep B. So they may not have ever known if they had it. So you might be asking, oh, did anybody in your family have any liver disease like cirrhosis? liver cancer, or sometimes they just know they had a liver problem. They don't know what it was called. They just know there was an issue with the liver, but even that is really important. And so what I think is important, I mean, in general, this is not even just for hep B is like, get a really good family history of your family. This is just for your overall health, because it's important for your doctors to know if you're at risk for some of these things, right? So generally, cause I also, you know, cause I also do primary care. I ask about heart disease, heart attacks, strokes, cancer, right? And it may not, you know, not just liver cancer, but also breast cancer, stomach cancer, colon cancer, like these things are just important 
for you to know. So I often will tell people like, okay, maybe you don't know. This is a good chance for you to go back to your family and say, I just had an appointment with my doctor. They were all asking all these questions about family history. And I realized I don't really know. Like I I hear this a lot with like young people, like college age kids. They're, They're like, oh, I actually never thought about asking. And so, well, you're an adult now. It's a good time to, for you to take charge of your own health. You know, go back. Maybe the family's all together for a graduation or a family gathering. Use that time to, like, ask people what the family history is. And, you know, if you guys have never made a family tree, like, it's not a bad idea to kind of go in, fill out, you know, who, which uncle or aunt had what disease. And, you know, just like we're saying, it's so important to be transparent about mm-hmm. this because there should be no shame in having a disease or a condition. And it's important. What I often will tell people is, yes, it's uncomfortable to talk about, but in the end, this is all for betterment of everybody, right? And so we get over our discomfort because we love each other. We care for our family members. We want everybody to have to be healthy. And so let's talk about these things because there's a chance we could do something about it, right? So if you know somebody had a stroke or a heart attack at an early age, it's a warning sign that everybody in that family should be concerned about early heart disease, right? We can all do something about it now. We can get our cholesterol checked, take medicine if we need it. And it's the same thing with hep B, right? So if there's a family history of liver cancer or cirrhosis, then the doctor wants to know because they're like, oh, you know, this is um, runs in their family and the liver cancer just means that it may be a more aggressive form of hepatitis B. So that history is important. And then obviously, if you've known you've had hep B for a while and you've seen other doctors mm-hmm. before, it's so important if you can get copies of your old lab tests imaging studies or ultrasound CT scan, because it tells a story, you know, what the doctor was thinking, you know, we want to know at the beginning how high your viral load was, you know, do we know that you were E antigen positive or negative? So I often will say, you know, if you can, if you were followed by another doctor for a number of years, Mm -hmm. it's worth it to get a copy of your actual records. So that means request from medical records. I want a full copy of everything. I tell people to just have a copy themselves because I think it's important for you as the patient, us as the patient to consider ourselves, we are our own medical record department. Like, unfortunately, in the US and probably not just the US, mm-hmm. healthcare is very disjointed, right? You can't guarantee that your new doctor will have any access to any of your information from another doctor or healthcare system. It's getting a little bit better with EMR interoperability, mm-hmm. but still there's no guarantee. And every patient now, it's actually in the, in the law, you have a right to your own medical records at this point. So you know, get a copy and then give your doctor a copy, but keep a copy for yourself as well. That way we can take a look at like your history of your liver enzymes, your viral load, has it been up and down? People don't realize like, you know, it's important. Everybody kind of has a different baseline for your liver enzymes. Like, and it can, I have like petite women whose ALTs are so low, like eight or 10. And then, so if their ALT goes up to 15 or 20, that may be normal for a big guy, but for Mm -hmm. that woman who's petite, like that's actually high for her. She's just doubled her ALT. So for me, it's really important for me to track that, you know, over the years by looking at her old lab tests. So I think anytime you switch doctors, or even if you're getting a second opinion, bring all your old records, you know, it helps us make a better decision based on what's been done for you before. I think that sounds really great. I mean, it's it's very important, especially looking about the uh, family history aspect mm-hmm. or, or just a medical general medical history. It's very important because if the provider needs to know, so they can actually know what exactly have a clear picture of the whole person and where to start from. You know, so right. it's really important to share every 
little bit of information the patient knows exists with a provider. That way, the patient and the provider can come together, come up with a plan that yeah. works for the patient and, and considering everything that is going on with the patient in, in that plan. Yeah. So I think it's very, very important. And I am guilty of that, uh, of the second aspect. With trying. I mean, I try so much, but I'm used to everything is online now, you know. Yeah. So it's like, it's online. I can access it. I'm like, okay, it's good. But I keep trying, you know, I keep telling myself, maybe it's time I build my own folder, hard, paper, hard copy, mm-hmm. you know. What happens if the computer is out? What happens if, you know, I keep thinking about this thing sometimes, but I think once... I have to get in a habit of printing stuff and I haven't been good at that. So yeah, uh, I feel guilty. You mentioned it, but it's very important to to pass that information on to the provider. Yeah. If you are if you are moving from one provider to another, you, you go with that information because it's very important, like you said. A lot of work has already been done with that provider, and now you are moving to a new provider. That provider needs to know what has been done with all those years. And then that provider can continue from that point going forward. So both topics are very important. And I think it it makes sense that patients will do a little homework and have this information when they're going to see the provider. Yeah, exactly. I have some patients that are really on top of it. I mean, they're better than me as a patient where they have created their own Excel spreadsheet and they like document and add in every single new test in there. And so you can Mm -hmm. really track over the years. But nowadays, if you if you do have a patient portal with your health system, those are actually really good. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I'm also fine. Sometimes patients will just log in and show me right away. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's also very helpful. But one thing you mentioned about, you know, like in terms of knowing what a patient, you know, it's important for the patients to express to the provider, like what it is that's important to you. Or if you have questions or concerns, you know, if I present a plan to you, if I say, you know what? You're kind of like on the fence in terms of whether you're eligible for treatment following, mm-hmm. you know, the the guidelines, whatever you're using, like the AASLD guidelines or WHO guidelines. You know, I may say you're kind of like heading in a direction. You're not quite there at this point. Let's talk about what's important to you. Okay. Right. Patient preferences and values are important. Patients often don't realize that, you know, it is a partnership. Like I want to know what's important to you. Because if you do you want to take medicine, do you not want to take medicine? I mean, this this happens with hypertension too. I have patients who are high blood pressure or high cholesterol. Patients are like, I, you know, I want to stay off medicine no matter what. You know, tell me what I need to do. And then I say, okay, if you want to like focus on lifestyle interventions, that means you got to be really good about, you know, low salt diet, exercise, you've got to cut down on your weight, or you got to cut down low-fat food. And I'll give you three months and you do that, come back, we'll recheck. And some people prefer that. Some people are like, ah, I'm already doing everything I can do. I'm pretty much vegetarian and my cholesterol is so high. Let just get, you know, give me the pill. Right. So mm-hmm. people are very, and it's the same thing for hep B, although we haven't necessarily incorporated that in our approach with patients, but I think, you know, there's more of a patient centered movement now. And so this should be changing kind of like with a new set of guidelines where we really consider what it is that's affecting the patient most with their hepatitis B, right? So mm-hmm. it's one thing to have abnormal liver enzymes and viral load, but like maybe you are really concerned about liver cancer because your dad or your grandfather had it, or maybe sure. you're really worried about it being infectious for whatever reason. Like maybe you have somebody at home who has cancer and, you know, can't, won't, doesn't have surface antibody tests after vaccination. Mm-hmm. 
maybe you're really worried about transmitting hep B to that person, right? Sure. So you got to tell the doctor how you're feeling, you know, what, what's important to you. Some patients are like, I don't want to deal with it. I don't really have a high risk or a risk of cancer. Like I'd rather not be on a medicine, right? Mm-hmm. It makes me feel mm-hmm. sick because I have to take a pill every day. This is all really important for a doctor because we can then tailor our recommendations to you based on what is important to you. Right. Sure. And we probably don't do that enough as a medical community, but it's important. And I think especially with hepatitis B, because there's a lot of stuff about how hep B affects us that is not necessarily, you know, what I will see in a lab test. Right. So you and I both know, like globally, there's issues with stigma, discrimination, and it's, you know, some people just feel better knowing that they're taking charge and mm-hmm. they kind of want to know if they're in that gray area or they're, they're at potential risk. And sure. maybe in certain countries, they're not going to be able to afford a viral load every year or every six months or every three months. And they know, they want to know if they're in a little bit in that area where there might be risk that it might actually be, they actually want to do something about their happy. They want to take a medication to prevent any risk of cirrhosis or liver cancer. And others may be like, no, I want to move on with my life. I don't think, you know, I feel fine. It's not important to me. And they'll choose choose a totally different route. And I see this. I have patients with the exact same blood work, you know, and liver enzymes, and they choose completely different things, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes I, I'm surprised who picked what, like who, who wanted to take the medicine and who didn't. Um, but it just shows you, you have to, you, I mean, this is part of the joy of medicine is really being able to get to know your patients and know what their lives are about and what's important to them and, and then tailor a plan that that works for them. But, you know, you got to be transparent. And, you know, like you, we were talking about before, like sometimes people feel ashamed, you know, like when they're in a, or they're trying to put on their best show for the doctor and they want to seem like they're you know, the healthiest patient. And but I, I need to know if you're if you are drinking alcohol or like you're maybe taking a herbal supplements, like I have a, pa- a lot of patients from who are Asian and believe heavily in supplements and herbals. And I'll say, you know, I don't discount it because I, I know I'll never change how they think. Right. We as doctors often think the patient will listen to ma- ma- us no matter what. But no matter what, people have very deep seated feelings and beliefs about health. And it may be like for Asians, they have deep seated Eastern beliefs, you know, mm-hmm. about health. And they're going to take these soups and herbal medicines no matter what. I just tell them, you let me know. And then that way, if I see something weird happening with your liver enzymes, or there's maybe an interaction with medications, you know, then you know that you should stop it. But if you don't tell me you're taking it, I have no idea. Right. I just think there's something like all of a sudden, you know, maybe your head be flared, but it could be just that you're taking this supplement. So we get to need to get to a point where we're honest with each other and realize that, you know, there's no reason to hide anything from your doctor because it's uh it's better for your care you know when you're really transparent sure yeah i agree transparency is definitely very important but i do think that a lot of times when you're seeing a new provider and when it's a diagnosis such as a hepatitis b diagnosis which can already be very unnerving and it's it can be intimidating to share that news even with a stranger what do you think providers can do to create a safe and comfortable space for their patients to share that important information about risk factors like drinking alcohol or sexual history mm-hmm. or even like herbal remedies. Because even though a provider wouldn't judge and, you know, you're not supposed to be judgmental as a medical provider, it does happen. And sometimes people have bad experiences with previous providers. So what do you think you can do to improve that patient provider relationship? I think there's, you know, there's more of a movement and awareness that as providers, we all come with our own 
implicit biases, right? So I know at our hospital system, we've been doing a lot of training around that, kind of recognizing our own stereotypes and beliefs. And some of it is honestly, like we got to do more education to providers about hep B because some providers just don't even know the basics. Like you guys will probably know more about hep B than a lot of general, you know, doctors out there just because they don't see it that often. So there's definitely some myths and misunderstandings about transmission. Like I still have doctors telling me they think it's like only an STI, only drug users get hep B, you know, and they're very, they are extremely like biased in how they see, think of like how people got it. And that's obviously a disservice to the patient and because people feel it. And I think, you know, we're a little bit more aware now that that even healthcare itself can be stigmatizing, right? And people can feel uncomfortable accessing healthcare for various reasons. So we do need to do work on that. I think even just things like, okay, like happy aside, even just normalizing things so that patients don't feel bad telling us things like compliance, I'll say. And so one of the things we learn like through our interviewing, like improving your interviewing communication skills, like motivational interviewing, you know, being able to tell people that it's okay. Like, okay, so if I'm worried about your compliance, instead of saying, you do take your medicine every single day, right? You know, instead of saying that would say, oh, you know, how are you taking your medicine? Do you sometimes miss the pills like once or twice a week or a month? You know, just put it out there. So it's like, okay, for them to say, oh, yeah, sometimes I do, I, you know, travel between houses or something, and I forget to bring my meds and you know, so there's ways of asking questions that don't have a little bit of judgmentalness in there. And then some of it is, you know, you can't always change who the provider is that you talk to. And, you know, just realizing that people don't mean to make you uncomfortable, but they're also just trying their best. But, you know, some of it does help if you can find a provider who is comfortable with seeing and treating Hep B, right? So, you know, we're going to have to do more work in getting primary care doctors and doctors on the front line to be comfortable treating happy, not just the specialist, because not everybody can ask access a specialist. So, but it's, you know, conversations like this are important because doctors aren't even aware, right? How they come off. So I always tell people like in a lot of meetings, you know, if, if patients are involved, you know, everybody think, thinks like the flow of information from doctor to patient, like, oh yeah, I'm going to this talk to learn from a doctor, but honestly, doctors can learn a lot from patients too. So like at ASLD at the liver meeting, we have a special track for patients It's a patient, I'm part of the patient advisory group, and we are creating sessions that have a lot of focus on things that are important to patients, but also it's a way for doctors to learn from patients, right? Doctors, patients will say often have thoughts and, you know, things that are important for doctors to hear that doc, they never tell their doctors, right? So we actually think it's important for um, physicians to also learn from patients. You know, those of us with HEP ER, have lived experience. And I always tell people like, don't discount your lived experience with happy. You're the one who lives with it day in, day out. Like you're an expert of happy for yourself. So you, you know, don't think the doc, the doctor doesn't know what your life is like, right? You need to be comfortable with that and confident about saying, you know, talking about any symptoms you have or any concerns you have and kind of owning the fact that as people living with the virus, we are experts as well. Yeah, I I agree. And I love that you mentioned that changing the way we speak with patients truly does make a difference in how, in their relationship with you and how comfortable they get with their providers and sharing important information about themselves. So I think earlier on in our discussion, you did bring an example of 
trying to know what is important to the patient, what is really important to the patient. So to follow up on that, how can providers engage and empower their patients given the power dynamic that exists between because we look at doctors as people in high authority in our society and then the patient is like lower level. Mm -hmm. But if you are trying to build a relationship with a provider, what ways can a provider build a relationship where they can engage the patient in a way that they are empowering the patient with knowledge about the disease Mm -hmm. uh, that they live with while at the same time, they actually also kind of asking the patients to be their own advocate or champions mm-hmm. or their own healthcare. If, if you know what I mean, how do you manage that situation, given how sometimes that power dynamic can be an issue in building that relationship? Yeah, so I think one thing I have been doing is referring patients to the online patient support group, hepbcommunity.org. And I tell them that, you know, you may have a lot of questions. We can't cover everything here. There are, you know, people all over the world living with hep B who have the same questions. And it's important to be a part of that community and learn from each other. And so I'll give them that because I I know that like when they leave my office, like all of a sudden they'll think of all these other things Mm -hmm. or they'll think of questions that they don't really feel like are quite medical enough to ask me, but are important to them. So, you know, you see on happycommunity.org, people asking about like, you know, how do I tell my girlfriend or boyfriend I have happy or, you know, I'm worried about whatever it is, you know, can I, can I go into nursing school? Can I do this or that? And, you know, all these things are running through your head, but don't necessarily come up during a a medical uh, meeting. And so I encourage people to go on that because there's also a lot of education in terms of people talking about lab results or, you know, new therapies. There's a research forum about to get launched, right? You were part of that. You were like, awesome. You know, one of the researchers posted like, oh, this is what's happening with drug development or like, you know, we did this community survey and Brian, as a patient, you were able to say, oh, what did you do? You know, why did you do that? Or like, what does this mean? And so having that interface and being able to, you know, be active, like in the space, like, I mean, I see this happen with other disease states like breast cancer, there's such a big active community uh, forum and people are out there kind of comparing notes and they're learning from each other. And with HIV, like the, the HIV patients were like right there with the researchers, like challenging them, like, you know, you need to do studies on this or why don't you do that? And how come nobody's giving us access to meds, right? We need to be on the forefront leading the conversation on hepatitis B. We're the ones who are living with it we should be at the front line of anything that has anything to do with this, right? Whether it's healthcare yeah. policy, insurance decisions, the latest research happening. And so, you know, with a lot of patients, I have been saying, oh, like, oh, now's a really good time for us as patients to like get more involved. And if we don't ask for things or demand things, like people won't realize this is such a big issue and that we need to, they need to dedicate more research to it because, you know, on the surface, it just seems like, unfortunately, we all know Hepi is like, um, hasn't received as much as attention for being mm-hmm. such a common infection in the world. And so it's, you know, it's really good time for people to be vocal, verbal, and people who are doing the investments will see like there's a demand. Oh, we should put in money. We should invest in these, you know, drug development because there are people who want to be on treatment and want to be cured. So there's a there's a dynamic where we actually think like patients could be a really huge catalytic 
force in terms of changing, you know, what resources are there for Hep B and drug development and, you know, making sure Hep B is covered in all national healthcare plans. You know, it's, it's, we don't realize that we could be actually, you know, part of things changing. So yeah, I don't know. You guys can help me figure that out. Cause I don't right, quite get it. Like I tell this to patients and they're kind of like, whatever. I think people are just busy with their lives, but every once in a while I'll be, I'll talk to a patient like, oh yeah, yeah. We really want to, you know, let me know how I can help. Or like we actually did a FDA focus group at some point in my practice. And uh, we had a handful of patients who participated, you know, but not everybody's interested. Right. So yeah. <laughs> I think it's like, we still have to solve that. Right. How do we get people living with hep B to like want to be energized about or activated. I call it like getting people activated. Yeah. I do share when I see my provider, even though it's for medical visit, mm-hmm. I do share with them like, hey, we have these resources in case you need it for your patients. I tell them about the hep B podcast. Yeah. I tell them about the, he already knows some of these things, but sometimes I bring it up. Like yeah. just had a conversation, maybe it could help somebody, you know, yeah, I listen and it could help them. And like you said, with a happy community, there's always a conversation going on. I mean, sometimes just being on there, you hear or you read a patient, share their experience. And then in your head, you're like, oh, I went through the same thing, mm. you know. And so you are able to empathize. You are able to understand and not feel like you are alone. You, you yeah. feel like you belong to a community now. Yes. Because everybody seems to have gone through the same thing that you have have been through. So it's a a good resource to have, you know, and I think it's it's very, very good. I mean, one thing too that I've done that has helped me in a way is since my diagnosis, I think I did take some time to kind of really educate myself Mm -hmm. about Hep B, you know, and I think over the years that has served me well, especially with my communication with my provider. Mm -hmm. So when I go in, I I always tell people when I go in and I'm having a conversation with my provider, it's like my provider talking to his colleague, (laughs) you know, but I'm a patient, but we have this kind of understanding, this kind of respect and the way we work. I mean, I'll ask a question, he will answer, or sometimes he will say, well, right, you know all this already, you know, or sometimes he'll ask me, hey, how is your happy podcast going? You know, <laughs> he can bring stuff in and then I'll also, so we have this kind of give and take relationship, which is respectfully done in a way that's, uh, I think I, I feel open to share anything with him. I feel comfortable to ask whatever is on my mind, you know, and I know he's very open to also answer, give me an honest answer. So that relationship has been built, that trust has been established. And over the years, it's just been beneficial for both of us, you know. And so that's why I always believe that relationship is very important. You know, if you find a provider that you see and takes care of you, try and establish that relationship. Try and be open to that provider. Try and, and you know, help the provider out because it's a it's a working relationship between yeah. the patient <laughs> and the provider. It's not a one-way street. It's two-way street. So I always tell patients, try and engage, you know. I understand people are worried about the power dynamic, but that shouldn't be a reason why, if you have a question, you don't want to ask. 
Yeah. Right yeah, no, at least, yeah. Questions, at least. I think it is hard. I mean, I, when I'm a patient too, sometimes like, I mean, even as a physician, I go in and see them, you know, in your mind, you're like, oh, is that a dumb question? Should I not ask yeah. that? And sometimes it helps to bring somebody with you who's an advocate and you tell them mm-hmm. like, okay, like, especially if this is like one of your first appointments with a doctor and just mm-hmm. tell them beforehand, you know, this is really important to me, you know, make sure I ask this question. Don't let me chicken out. And then, or write it down, right? Write down all, all your notes. Make sure that way you don't forget, you know, the questions you wanted to ask. But I agree. Like, I think the partnership part is so important. And, you know, the doctors like are busy, but like, mm-hmm. you know, the joy of being a physician is like having these relationships and like the long-term relationships with patients is, is so special. You know, like I can think of so many patients that I've just really gotten to know over the years. And I'm really, you know, we have a great dynamic yeah, like you're saying, I mean, it's, you know, what you do is so interesting, obviously, because you're so involved in the advocacy space. And I'm sure your doctor loves seeing you, you know, he loves hearing about <laughs> what you're doing. And it's, it's interesting. And um, it's nice to have that. It's definitely nice to have that kind of relationship. Yeah. And so if you, you know, if you're seeing a doctor that goes to liver meetings, or, you know, is involved with things, you know, they, they don't mind when you, you know, say, Oh, Hey, did you just go to that meeting? Like what, what, what happened? You know, what, what mm-hmm. what's happening? What's new in this space? And it just shows that you're like, you know, interested in hearing because the, the field is always evolving, right? There's yeah. always new studies and yeah. recommendations, you know, it's nice when they know that you take an interest. In yeah. That. I mean, a lot of time when we finish early, we finish with the medic, my medical staff, and we have extra time. We talk about heavy stuff, like what is going on with medications, what is going on with treatments, what is going on with new studies. You know, we, we talk at clinical trials. We we just engage in conversations about heavy, you know. And I find that to be very refreshing because not only am I getting fresh information from him, from him as a provider, and him and his colleagues, what is going on in his inner circle in a field, but I'm also able to bring my patient perspective as a patient like oh we patients when we meet this is what we talk about this is what we are thinking about and then you hear the providers also okay this is what they also think about so you are able to kind of really feel that okay so nobody is left out everybody's busy doing something you know Mm -hmm. which which is really fascinating to to what those play out because a lot of time patients because we don't see what goes on behind the screens or behind the scenes we assume that nothing is going on or nobody cares, you know. But when you talk to people, you realize that there are so many things going on that we don't see. So yeah. it's very fascinating in that in that space to see that relationship and that dynamic build over yeah. the years, yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I have patients who are like jump doctors a lot, like they see different doctors. And I, I don't know if they realize, but I often will try to say, you know, it's, it's really nice when you develop a relationship with somebody over many years. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you can, you know, obviously sometimes it's just not a good fit. Yeah. Um, and you, you know, you need to find a doctor that you really like feel comfortable with for head B and somebody who feel confident that they know uh, the field and they know sure. how to treat you. But then once you're there, like it's, it's, it's in your best interest to stay with a provider over the years because, and, and not to, and I say, even if you feel like, like, oh, I'm not medication, I feel fine. Why do I have to keep coming in? Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We need, you know, we have to monitor your liver disease because so much is so much is silent, right? Your liver enzymes yeah. can go up and you feel fine. Yeah. Your viral load can go up and down and you won't even know. Right. Mm-hmm. So you may not feel like we're doing a whole lot by just ordering labs and doing an ultrasound, 
But for us, it is part of your care. Like I can, I need to follow you and see you. So I have a sense of like where you're going. And then I can tell you like, you know, I'm concerned, I'm not concerned. And so even if there are quick check-ins, like that's important for you to stay connected because we definitely have had people who have fallen off the bandwagon and then like five years later, they come in and their liver is cirrhotic or they have cancer, you know, and, and I think as physicians, we know we're advocates for you too. So like, sometimes I think what happens, a patient comes in, they have a complaint or an issue. We offer something, they go home, you know, they try some, you know, I'm not talking about happy specifically. Sure. We offer them medication. It didn't work. And then they get frustrated. They're like, ah, the doctor tried that. It didn't work. And I didn't go back to them. You know, now I don't know what to do. I'm going to try a different doctor. And what I explained to them is like, you know, that doctor offered you this first step. We don't know what's going to work yet. Right. Mm-hmm. They want to know if that thing didn't work. Right. Cause I yeah. need to then say, okay, let's come up with an alternative diagnosis or alternative medication. Like I am much more vested in you because I already mm-hmm. started this process. Right. I already sure. was trying to figure it out with you and try to help you. I want to know if it doesn't work. I don't want you to get frustrated and leave, right? Or go to another doctor because that other doctor has to start from the beginning, like trying to figure everything out about (laughs) you. You know, it's a partnership. You come back, you let me know. I don't think I'm going to feel bad because, you know, drug X didn't work. You know, that's nobody's fault, right? Not every every drug, not every person is going to interact with the same way. So, you know, come back, let me know, we'll do this. And then same thing, like, you know, you don't need medicine now, but like, let's see you in six months see how you're doing. And uh, that's really, you know, the best way you get care. You just have to, you know, stay plugged in. Yeah, that's so true. And and I think you do wear a very unique hat. I mean, one not by choice. I mean, as a patient, yeah. I know that's not something we all wanted. But how would you say being a patient has helped you in, in your role as a provider? Would you say it's been an asset, like you are able to relate and empathize more with your patients because of your experience uh, as a patient yourself. I mean, I know it's it's a little tricky way to put the question, but how do you see, like, uh, has that made you a better provider? Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. I don't always tell every patient that I see with Hep B that I also have it. I but I I have and I do often because I want people to know that I'm there with them. I have the same issues, concerns. I go through the same. You know, I have to see. I have to get blood work repeatedly and my ultrasound regularly. And I want them to know that you know you can live a healthy, happy life. You can have you know with Hep B like it's not a death sentence. It's definitely not something that needs to change your life dramatically. You can still have the same hopes and dreams for your job, Mm -hmm. your family. That's an important message because, I mean, you know, we we hear messages all the time of people who are, you know, fall in great despair and are depressed about about the diagnosis. And it's really helpful to know that you're not alone, right? It's really helpful to hear other people sharing their stories. And I think especially early on when people are first diagnosed, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's important for them not to feel like they're alone and that it's going to you know, impact their lives in in a negative way. So I do share that with patients. And then the other time I find it's helpful is when patients are thinking about starting treatment, Mm -hmm. uh, because I wrestled with that decision myself. And even though I prescribe it every single day, (laughs) and I'm always like, this is nothing, you know, no side effects, people feel great on it. 
when I had to decide, like I, you know, my hepatologist was like, why didn't you start it yet? You should have started it. And he's more liberal. He doesn't follow the ASL guidelines, like guidelines to a T. Mm -hmm. My viral load was kind of underneath the cutoff and my, my liver enzymes were normal. And he was like, come on, Sue, like, I really, (laughs) you know, you're young. I don't want you to get liver cancer. Like, you know, just start it. I have some mutations and my viral load was just kind of like going up sometimes and sometimes going down and I'm getting older. So, you know, but I had to like go through the process. And I mean, I had the benefit of like um, all the medical research that I, you know, and studies mm-hmm. that I listened to and and learn and read about. And, uh, you know, there are a couple pivotal things that I heard that made me like want to make that decision on my own. So it okay. does help. I think when I talk to a patient, like, yeah, I was in the same place as you, you know, tell you the way I decided it's not necessarily the right one for you. You know, I don't want people mm-hmm. to think that my decision is the right decision for them, Sure, but it helps for them to hear like, you know, I wasn't flipping about it either. And that now that I'm on the medicine, <laughs> I feel fine. Right. A lot of times people are like so worried about going on medicine every day of their life. And once they started, it's like, oh, I don't know what the big deal was. Right. But helping people kind of get over that bump sometimes is it's helpful to share my own experience. Yeah. I mean, you made me laugh when you said, when you were talking about your medication i did the exact same thing i mean yeah i when the doctor brought it up so i i knew at some point i was going to go on it but my whole fear was the commitment yeah will i be able to stick to the plan you know that was my worry like what about if uh, i wake up late and i don't eat and i don't take it what is going to happen so i kind of had this whole thing in my mind but once i talked to the provider and he was like he had a concern why he thinks I should go on treatment because I had multiple cysts on my liver and my viral load was getting higher and then my uh, ALT and SLT was also getting a little bit higher and Mm -hmm. it was becoming something that we were noticing over the like a period of time that it was getting higher and he was really getting concerned but when he said it I was like let me think about yeah, right. You think about it. Yeah. At the same time, I was scared because of what he's also, his concern, you know. But in my mind, I was more worried about me being able to follow the regimen and take it as it's prescribed. That was my worry. Yeah. So I took some time and then finally I was like, you know what? Who knows? All this time I'm taking, I'm probably cause doing more harm. So why not I just try it and see how it goes, you know? And I took it, I think the first month I was like, this is it? This was what I was worried about? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I was like, it's nothing. It's like a yeah. routine. Yes. Now, I was yes. like, why was I worried yes. about commitment and all that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. It's so true. And I think this is why it's important for us to share our experiences, right? Because yeah. if we went through it, other people are going through the same things. And it's helpful for them to hear on the other side of that decision what somebody yeah. feels like. Yeah. Right? And I think coming from uh, you as a you have a unique perspective because you you have the patient perspective and then the provider perspective. So you hold a unique aspect in, in treating patients, and and I think that a lot of patients will be happy to have you as their provider because it's it's a unique thing. Mm-hmm. Most providers are just providers who do research. They don't have that personal connection with her B. Yeah. But uh, with you, it's like it's a unique situation. I don't know how many providers can say they have the lived experience and the medical experience together. Uh, it's not something you find very often. Yeah. So I think, uh, 
that's something unique. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I, no, I do know. hope that it, it can make a difference. And there are yeah. probably more people out there that we just don't know. I mean, you think about how many people sure. are sure. providers who come from affected areas, right? Sure. And they're there, yeah. but not everybody is comfortable enough to talk about it. Right? About I know it, even yeah. when I first kind of came out about it and our hospital interviewed me for some stories and I, part of me was like a little bit nervous, like, oh, you know, are people not going to want to see me as a doctor once they know, you know, we all wrestle with like, how is this going to change how people think of me? And uh, so I think some people are not comfortable with that, but hopefully, you know, my story and other people's stories will show that like, it's, you know, at, at some point it became like, okay, I'm definitely not doing it for myself. I'm doing it because so many people are afraid, you know, I'm doing it on behalf of everybody else, right? Like it's important for other people to see, and hear about my experience. And uh, I mean, it's been amazing. Like, and this probably has happened to you too. Like people will come up to me and say, you know, your story really inspired me to come out too and talk about it. And, you know, I'm so glad you shared. And that's what strengthens our community, right? More yeah. of us kind of coming forward and, and joining the the wider community of people living with Hep B. So, you know, it's a, an exciting time for us. So I'm excited, like, you know, about adding to the momentum and having more people join us. Sure. Uh, any any final advice to our listeners? Any final advice or any word of encouragement for anyone who is listening to you? Yeah, I think you know as we're kind of talking about making sure people have you know good doctors and relationships with their providers, and you know I know people people you get busy with life, like you feel fine, you have urgent things, you're taking care of other people and your family. Oftentimes we let our own health kind of like take the back seat. Sure. Um, and it's so important. Like you are, you can only help others if you're healthy, right? So you have to put yourself number one. It's not selfish, but you have to prioritize your health. And for Hep B, sometimes it just doesn't seem urgent, but it's important, you know, put it on your calendar, like other things that are important to you. And, you know, it's worth it, you know, once you establish that good relationship with a physician or provider, like you're saying, Bright. And if you don't think you're quite there, you know, then find somebody else. There are definitely people out there, you know, look at the directories and even ASLD and HEPI Foundation have great directories of doctors. And what's amazing now, we also have telehealth, right? You don't actually have to, you know, live exactly where the provider is. There are providers that are licensed to do telehealth, but live in other states or, you know, you could... It could be somebody in your state who's not in your city, but you can see them via telehealth. So we are an exciting time where there's more options for healthcare. And, you know, I would just encourage people like stay in that, you know, stay, stay on top of it. Don't let your head be kind of fall to the wayside. Thank you, know, you very much. It was great talking to you. Great talking to you and having you on. We really appreciate your time and your insight. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. Take Thank care. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode. Please subscribe for future episodes about Hepatitis B. If you have any questions, please direct them to info at You can support our programs at the Hepatitis B Foundation by going to www.hepb.org donate or click on the links provided on this page. We appreciate your support. Stay tuned for more episodes.